And what up? Welcome in. You're listening to another edition of the Sports Cafe. I am your host, Adam Rosen, back after a two-week hiatus, joined with the usual cast of characters. We've got Mike Mandel, our Philly resident. Uh, Mike, the Sixers still leading the Eastern Conference, a, a half a game up on the Nets. They've got two All-Stars uh, who are named to the All-Star team today in Simmons and um, Embiid. How you feeling this week? Feeling great. You know, they're... Uh... They're looking to expand that lead. They're they're beating the Raptors right now. Um, it's good to see Embiid and, and Simmons make consecutive All Star appearances. Hopefully, they'll actually be on the same team this year. Last two years, they they were uh, opposing each other. And Doc Rivers is the head coach. That, that that that's something that I don't think I've ever seen, or maybe not since uh, Larry Brown coached the team back in '01. So I'm pretty excited. And Ian, spring training is underway. Your star right fielder has a new smile. How are you doing this week? I thought you were going to mention my all-star. I know you. Oh, of uh, course. How could I forget? There. Julius Randle, the New York Knicks have yeah. an all-star. Pretty impressive. Uh, so the Knicks have been watchable, and I think they're currently, you know, fighting for a, a playoff spot, which is pretty amazing. The fans are back in the Garden as of tonight, so uh, you know things are looking up in, uh, in New York. And yeah, Aaron Judge fixed his gap in his teeth, so. I guess that's the big spring training news uh, as of today for for the Yankees after one of their prospect pitchers was shut down yesterday, Clark Schmidt, uh, early injury. So we're already right in the sprint, in the swing of things on spring training. And Mike Weil, I know baseball is starving for content right now. They've got unlimited lists that they got going on, but I believe the Chicago White Sox have the most top 100 players in Major League Baseball. you got to be feeling pretty good about that. I, I do feel good. I wish we did more this offseason, but I do feel good about that. And I have to, since you're mentioning All-Stars, congratulations, Zach Levine. Well-deserved. Been a beast all year. So uh, amazing what a competent coach can do for your players. Billy Donovan's done a tremendous Billy job. Billy Donovan and Tom Thibodeau. Yeah, gotta love and- Tibbs. Uh, so you guys put up a hell of a fight against us on Friday night. I know you might have been observing the Sabbath then, but that was fun I heard Embiid. I saw after Embiid had like 50-something points. It's crazy. And how about that? I mean, the NBA All-Star rosters is the hardest All-Star roster to crack, and we've got representatives from the Knicks and the Bulls. I mean, who would have thought that coming into the season? Who knew? All four yeah, of us are represented. Us. That's right. That's Paul great. George. Anyway, uh, action-packed show here tonight. Um, this is our first show in probably five months where we haven't had any football picks, so we'll switch it up. We've got some more debate-style topics here tonight. We'll cover some football, some baseball, uh, potentially college basketball if there's time, and then we'll also touch on the NHL Outdoor Series, which I don't know if you guys had a chance to watch, but I thought it was beyond awesome. Very cool. But uh, let's start with football. Uh, so we're now two weeks removed from the Super Bowl. There's already transactions galore, or I guess not formal transactions, but lots of rumors and soon to be agreed to trades. And the the big trade that we'll start with, which I know hits home for Mike Mandel, and that is the fact that Carson Wentz is going to be headed to the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, they reached a deal in exchange for a third round pick and a conditional second round pick, which I believe can potentially uh, be converted to a first-round pick. So, Mike, I'll I'll give you the floor here. I know that uh, you had kind of soured on Carson Wentz, but now that the deal is actually happening, uh, what are your initial thoughts? So, so first and foremost, I, I have to give Carson Wentz his due. Um, he he came here out of North Dakota State. 
he, he led us, even though he didn't play in the Super Bowl itself, he was a big driver in leading us toward the first Super Bowl in Eagles history. This city went wild when that happened. And I, I think it's pretty clear that, yes, Nick Foles played amazing in the Super Bowl, in the playoff games leading up to it, but the team wouldn't have gotten there with, with, with Foles at the helm. I mean, it was all Carson who led the team to an 11-2 start that season. Um, he was having an MVP season until he got injured, but he set us up to have home field advantage um, throughout the playoffs. And, and then the next two seasons, he still played great. You know, the team wasn't as good, but he still led us to, to the playoffs both times. Um, not going to deny, his, his last season was terrible. I think the coach made the right move and ultimately benching him for Jalen Hurts because you can't simply get away with that poor play. But it was one season. It was one terrible season, but it was one season. I don't think one season is going to ruin a career. And I'm not such a fan of this trade. I, I don't think the Eagles got enough for him. Um, I think it's great for, for Wentz himself. He gets to be reunited with Frank Reich, who, who was the offensive coordinator during the Eagles Super Bowl year. They had a great relationship. He gets to quarterback a team that is ready to contend. I, I, I had called the Colts a, a transition team going into last season because they, they brought in Phil Rivers to, to quarterback, but it's not like they were in full rebuild mode. They had a lot of pieces there, and they still do. But I don't think he was beyond redemption for the Eagles. I absolutely think that there was an opportunity for him to reach his uh, his normal form, to his pre-2020 form. I think we he, he still could have been our franchise quarterback. Um, not saying that we shouldn't have traded him at all, but I think we could have made the asking price higher, knowing full well that we didn't have to trade him. Um, I hope I'm wrong about this. Um, I know the Eagles are investing in the future. I also know that a part of the trade was to offload the significant contract. They're going to take a cap hit this year, obviously, but it's not as big as oh, it would have been. Enormous. And, and that was one of the reasons I was kind of skeptical that the trade was going to happen. Isn't it like $33 million of dead cap this year? Yeah, I think it's like 30, 31, so somewhere around there. It is a record. Um, it's the highest dead cap hit in, in sports, or at least in, in football history. Uh, so that that's not to be ignored. Um, I, I, I mean, I, just, I still feel that as a second overall pick who, you know, had an MVP caliber season, led us to a Super Bowl. I just I think we either could have done better or should have kept them, but I hope I'm wrong. Yeah, look, I all all indications were that the Eagles were were trying to move him, so I guess I'm not surprised that the trade happened. But I kind of thought that firing Doug Peterson was their way of saying, "Look, we're going to go with the quarterback over the coach." And I thought that the goal there was, "Okay, we'll bring in a new coach. It's kind of a fresh start for Carson Wentz, and maybe we can salvage the relationships." But yeah, I mean, to to trade him. You don't get a first-round pick back. Uh, it's it's a huge cap hit, which is going to affect their ability to compete this year. Um, yeah, I, I I don't know. I don't. If I'm an Eagles fan, look, I I guess if you don't like Carson Wentz, you're you're happy he's he's gone. But uh, unless you're really sold on on Jalen Hurts as the quarterback of the future, and let's not forget, they didn't give him a chance to compete in that last game of the season to see what he's made out of in prime time. Um, yeah. I, I don't know that I, that I love it as an Eagle as if I were an Eagles fan either. I've not talked to a yeah, single I, Eagles it, fan who has liked it. Sorry, go ahead. Man. Yeah, it's it, no, no. Go, I, I think it's it. I agree with you guys. I mean, I don't, I don't think there's any really positive way you can spin this if you're the Eagles. I think 
you know, maybe that's the market. Maybe I know we're going to talk about Watson. Maybe just because there's other quarterbacks out there, there's only so many teams looking to trade and, and give up picks. But um, yeah, I mean, what a what a fall from grace, uh, you know, for for Wentz. I, mean, I don't know if you guys saw the stat. Not a single quarterback drafted in the first round from 2009 to 16 is still with his original team, which yeah, it's pretty yep. insane. Jared Goff, yeah, of course, yeah. just traded. Yeah. Yep. Oh, for it, 22. So it would <laughs> turn funny. in though. I I heard that Adam the pick. This conditional second round pick would be a first round pick if he starts seventy five percent of the snaps or something like that. Yeah, um, I thought it was also they have to have like team success too, right? Like I think they have to make the playoffs or I, I thought it was like not super easy to achieve. Yeah, I but it's thought it's it was only where, the uh, the play time. Oh, is that okay? Yeah, but even if they something hit that, where it's condi- right, it's it's conditional enough where they can manipulate right. it. If, if something is not yeah. going the way they want and like if they're not contending next year with him they'll just probably bench him so they don't have to give up the pick but i'm i'm happy as a bears fan i thought for a while it looked like we were gonna get carson wentz for a first that was the rumor and i was thinking that's way too much to give up for a guy that, that did not look impressive last year has had a history of injuries and there wasn't really a market for him other than the colts I think the thing that lowered their price was that the Colts were essentially the only team that were in the running. And the fact that the Eagles were able to get as much as they could is a testament to the organization. I think they made a market where there wasn't that much of a market for them and that they were saying, oh, the Bears might be interested or some other teams might be interested. Reality is, I think the Colts were really the one serious suitor this whole time. And how about from the Colts' perspectives, guys? You know, they had Andrew Luck a couple seasons ago, and they were they were Super Bowl contenders for sure. Uh, his unexpected retirement was really a setback for them. They they tried to piece it together. They had Jacoby Brissett for a while, and then they brought in Philip Rivers on a one year deal. But from the Colts' perspective, do you is this a good move? I mean, to to me personally, I think given the the limited options of win now ready options, I think he's probably the best that they could get given their position in the draft. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, I, I think also, you know, we talked about the package they gave up. It's worth a shot. I mean, they are a win-now team. They have the roster, and they've been competitive. I think people were kind of surprised at, you know, the success they had even with Phillip Rivers this past season. And, and you know, like Mandel said, going back to his old coach, I feel like this is a move you have to make. It's not obviously a guarantee that it's going to work out, but I, I feel like this sets them up a lot better, you know, in 2021 than they were last year. Yeah, I, I think it's a great move for the Colts. Uh, Carson is going to be super excited to bounce back. And, and I think along with being under Coach Reich again, it's a better fit for him personally as well. He's back in the Midwest. Granted, Indiana isn't quite North Dakota, but you, you get a little bit of that um, the, the, the East Coast shine off you. It, it, I mean, it's, it's still football, but it's not quite the same as being on the East Coast. And it's a team that, is ready for him. They're ready to contend, and he could be the missing piece that that allows him to do so. Yeah, I, I think for Wentz, it's a great situation. He was kind of just done in Philly. I, I think he wanted a change of scenery more than anyone, and after Hertz ran with the job toward the end of the season to, to reunite with Frank Reich and the guys that he had success with in Philadelphia... I think it's a it's a great deal for the Colts, as Mike said, because of the picks. They they only gave up a third this year, and it could be a second. So if Wentz is 
better than Phillip Rivers and takes them far into the playoffs, it's worth the first round pick next year. And you're potentially setting yourself up for a long-term solution at quarterback. And Wentz is basically at his lowest value, I think, right now. And if it doesn't work out, the Colts give up a second next year. If it does, they give up a first, but it's worth it. So I'm excited right. to see what he can do. And for being the second overall pick a couple years ago, um, and arguably, I mean, he's better than Jared Goff, potentially, that you could have a guy that was highly touted out of college, highly touted his first year in the league, then had some injury troubles, and then is trying to rebuild himself. So it... Carson Wentz still has a long career ahead of him. It could be a Drew Brees situation. I don't want to say it, Mike, but it, it, he switches teams, and who knows? I'm still going to root for him. I, I still like the guy. I'm still going to root for him, except for when he plays us. Well, it's shaping up to be an unprecedented offseason as far as uh, QBs changing teams are concerned. Between Wentz and Jared Goff, Matt Stafford, I think guys like Jimmy Garoppolo and Sam Darnold will probably change teams as well. You've got some new quarterbacks in the draft, so we're going to see a shakeup in the NFL like we've never seen before. And I think the name that tops that list, which we've all heard a lot in the news, is um, Deshaun Watson, who has not spoken to the new Texans GM. I think he's made it very clear that he wants out of Houston. And before we get into you know what teams he might go to, where's the best fit, I, I think there's kind of a larger issue here, which is that We've seen a lot in particularly the NBA, which is a very, very superstar-driven league. It's completely run by the players, where guys become disgruntled. Superstar players who franchises are fully invested in, they mean a lot to the city, they get disgruntled, whether it's um, you know the team's not competitive or you know they're not getting paid enough, whatever it may be, and they, d- they demand out, and the teams are forced to trade them. Uh, we may be seeing a similar trend here in the NFL between Carson Wentz, who the Eagles were completely invested in. They gave him a boatload of money. He he did not live up to the expectations of, a, of his contract. And now a guy like Deshaun Watson, who's probably the the biggest stature name we've seen in the NFL, demand a trade. And look, the, the Texans had a, had a terrible year for sure, but they've been pretty competitive the last few seasons. And to me, this is really concerning. Uh, if, if to see this NBA trend transition over to the NFL, um, I mean, do you guys have any thoughts about why this is happening and if there's anything the league can do to stop this? I mean, we had last year with the Jets and Jamal Adams demanded a trade out of New York and now with Watson. So, you know, Ian, I'll start with you. Any thoughts on that and, and yeah. how maybe this can be prevented? Well, I think it's interesting because we've seen kind of holdouts, right, before training camp in the NFL. I feel like that's been going on <laughs> for many, many years. But these kind of, like you said, NBA-style demands are relatively new. So I'm curious to hear everyone's thoughts. I don't know if there's anything from, like, a CBA standpoint that has changed or if it's just more players feel they have the power. And, um, it, it, you know, it's not great, but I don't think there's anything nefarious necessarily. I mean, I think each guy is his own individual situation where he doesn't like what's going on within the team structure, and he decides to make it known. Uh, I don't think it's a great look for anyone involved, but... In this, you know, particular case, it's going to be very interesting because the Texans have, you know, pretty much said they're not listening to trade offers. They have zero interest in, in trading him. So we'll see how that plays out the rest of the offseason. But if they're saying that publicly now, you know, they're going to be the ones that ends up caving if he gets traded. And that'll only increase things like this, you know, from happening in the future. I have an interesting theory about why players are getting more 
power. And I, I don't think it's that interesting. I think it's obvious, actually. Yeah. Uh, I guess I was giving myself too much credit. But social media and the role of Twitter and players becoming a lot more outspoken, are it, it drives pressure to get rid of an unhappy guy. Because if you have a guy tweeting to the fan base, I'm disgruntled, I'm unhappy, the team doesn't like that. They want to get rid of the problem. And the player... There's not really a repercussion for the player because a lot of players agree with a guy like Deshaun Watson who's tweeting, what are we doing? Like They got rid of Hopkins last year. J.J. Watt's gone. It, it's just becoming a mess in Houston. They're totally mismanaging the whole situation, and they went from a contender to now one of the worst teams in the league. So it's just ugly, and the players using social media and also just being more confident, speaking up, having more power. It's changing the power balance in basketball. It's changing it in football. And I think hockey and, and baseball, maybe you have less of an issue, but I think baseball even, people the con- are... The contracts are untradeable in baseball. Right. I mean, it, it's yeah. they're, you're not able to trade, but I think service time manipulation, we'll, we'll get to this topic, but it's an area where players are speaking up now. And all across sports you have players that are being more vocal and i think a lot of it has to do with twitter and with the fact that these players build their own brand and have their own following and they have power because of it and so the team is no longer the sole brand it's it's also the player uh, now I, I will say the 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 one difference between the nfl and the nba with, with these star players demanding trades is that in football I'd say it's a lot easier to get fair value than it is for basketball, and here's why. The, the Texans will trade Watson eventually, and they'll get a haul for him. They'll get, I don't know, four first-round draft picks, maybe maybe a player in there. But I think the first-round draft picks in the NFL go a lot further than in the NBA. You know, in, in, in football, I mean, you have to build out a 50-plus-man roster. The first-round picks are really valuable. You can really build a solid foundation with multiple first-round picks in any given year, you can you can um, you know you can split the draft with um, you know offensive linemen versus uh, you know skill position players. There's really a lot you can do to build a roster. In the NBA, you've seen these massive deals over the years for guys like Paul George and Russell Westbrook and Dwight Howard years ago, where it's like a hundred first-round draft picks, which in, in theory sound nice, but I mean let's be real. In, in the NBA, there's really maybe one or two franchise changing players per year and chances are if you're if you're dealing a superstar player for a first round draft pick you're looking at a first round pick that's going to be in the later part of the draft which is not really going to help you win long term so from that standpoint if you're a Texans fan it, you, you know Watson's your guy and he's 25 I mean he should be a, a a lifer with the Houston Texans but they will certainly get a ton of value back to the point where they can field a competitive team, um, you know, hopefully, you know, in the not too distant future. And Mike, I'm sorry, I may have cut you off there. Were you going to say something? Yeah, it's all good. I I, I felt that as far as why it's happening, uh, Mike makes a good point uh, with the rise of social media. My, my, my thoughts about this are pretty similar in that it's it's a generational change, right? I feel like as the generations get younger, the um, the saying "respect your elders" has become less and less powerful. I mean. You look at our generation, for example, when we were in, in, in class, we were told to sit down, shut up, and listen to the teacher, whatever he or she says. I feel like that's becoming less and less the case, you know. People simply aren't getting disciplined to the level that they were in prior generations, and therefore, 
players feel like they have more power to speak up without negative repercussions. Um, and it, it, I'm not going to necessarily say this broad-based for every scenario, but I think in this situation, I don't know if I mind that because, yeah, the players are millionaires. The owners are multimillionaires slash billionaires. So I, I don't know if I mind that the players are helping to balance out that market a little bit um, to, to show the owners that, no, you guys don't have all the power. We're at least going to make our case. And, and at the end of the day, it's still the owners who control the purse strings and who get to decide whether these trades are made or not. But I, I think, in all honesty, the, the Sean is helping both himself and the team out by being vocal because even if he wasn't being vocal, the fact that he doesn't want to be there, it would still show on the field. Even if he wasn't necessarily saying that publicly, like a guy who's not happy simply isn't going to play as well, isn't going to be as motivated. So if he wants this blockbuster trade, they will probably give it to him, as you but said. I think, but I think like on the field, I feel like that's another level. Like if you're not competing and trying your best because you're disgruntled, like that's I mean, I feel like we were dealing with that with Harden in a sense. But yeah, and- I don't know that he's not competing. I, I just think that. His best when he's not happy simply isn't going to be the same as his best when he is. And and here's the counter I'd make about players doing this to help build their brand. Okay, a lot of these superstar players, they are beloved in these cities that they play for, that they have established themselves in as superstars. And the second that you demand a trade for whatever reason, a lot of your a lot of your fans are going to turn on you. And I think the perfect example I would give is going back to Dwight Howard. Dwight Howard was absolutely beloved in Orlando. He was a rock star in every sense of the word. He made it to the NBA Finals. Um, you know, he was a surefire Hall of Famer, still is. But the second he demanded a trade out of Orlando, people were like, oh, he's the next Shaq. You know, he just wants to big time us and go to LA. Dwight Howard's played for seven teams, if you count the Lakers twice, uh, since demanding a trade for Orlando. So not only... Is he hated in Orlando, I presume. But Dwight Howard doesn't really have like a place to call home. This is a guy, he's a superstar. He's a Hall of Famer. What city does he have to go back to? What fan base does he have to go back to You know, when, he, when his career is over and say, hey, look, you know what? This is the city that I identify with. You know, He could say Orlando, but I don't know if the fans feel the same way about him. And I think I would caution players that you know, when you demand a trade – you're going to alienate a lot of your a lot of your big fans. Oh, right, that's but a there's good a thing difference. Too, there are consequences, right? Yeah. Right, I was going to say that there's a difference though, I think when you have an organization that deliberately or not deliberately, I don't think they're doing it intentionally, but they're just screwing up on all levels and they have a guy in Deshaun Watson who JJ Watt, who's now gone, said on camera, "We're sorry for wasting one of your prime years." This guy is a top quarterback in the league. He's phenomenal. And the fact that they're refusing, they took away his biggest weapon in DeAndre Hopkins. Their defense has aged to the point where they they had a ton of talent a few years ago when they had Jadavion Clowney and and Watt, etc. And they disappointed. And now it's like they're starting over. But what good does having Deshaun Watson do if you're not going to make the right moves to surround him with good talent i mean he's frustrated and i i think he has every right to voice his opinion adam i understand your point that in the old days or not even that long ago 10 15 years ago 
it was a point of pride for a player to stay with the team and that they built careers in one city and similar to a guy like Drew Brees that you build a connection with the fan base and now I don't think that's as much of a priority the players want to make money the players want to get exposure and the players want to win and if the team isn't winning eventually they're going to be disgruntled and go and hunt a championship and I think you can thank LeBron James for this that he was really the first guy in 2010 he really did. Yep. with the decision. A lot of these guys grew up in 2010. What's Deshaun Watson, like 25 years old? Yep. So in 2010, he's a 13, 14-year-old kid, and that's you're, you're a young teenager. You're very influenced by what's going on, and they grew up. They were teenagers when LeBron did that, and you can see the repercussions. I think LeBron James even though I don't think he's the greatest basketball player of all time, I think he's the most influential athlete of all time, potentially. You have to, the, to drop that in there. The way that, yeah, I have to. But the, the way that, I mean, Adam, do you agree? That the way that he yes. sort of trailblazed this absolutely. culture. He, he it, absolutely pioneered player move. I mean, if LeBron James, Akron's finest, could walk away from Cleveland in the prime of his career anything goes um yeah and and you saw that i mean they completely changed the way things happen in the nba you you know kevin durant leaving and super teams and yeah, absolutely that's that, that's a great point point. and to do it publicly uh, as he did he, he was criticized at the time but it ended up working out for him yeah so anyway just to keep things moving along i know we got some other topics uh i guess real quick because this watson thing i guess the, the trade can't be official until i think it's like mid-march but uh, a trade will happen before the NFL draft. I mean, it makes too much sense. Uh, we'll do a quick around the horn as far as not where the best fit is, but where you think he'll end up. So, um, Mandel, let's start with you. Honestly, I think Washington could go for it. Uh, we, we don't know that Alex Smith has got another year in him. I think they're basically without a starting quarterback. I don't expect that Heineke is necessarily going to come back. And I think they finally see themselves as being a viable contender in the NFC East. They, they, they have... Very talented defense, so you give him a quarterback like him, I, I think they're willing to give a lot of future up to, to compete in the present. Ian? I'll go with Denver. I know there's been a lot of rumors wow. around Denver and uh, yeah, and, and Carolina of late. I'm sure one of you is going to pick Carolina, but everything I'm reading is they're going to make a hard push for them. They have the cap space. You but know, does not... Denver have the, the draft capital? They have the number nine pick in the draft. Um, I don't know, you know, the, the full package they'd be able to offer, but it sounds like they're they're going to make a push. So they have what the you know they have a lot of future picks. I don't know that it's going to be immediate picks, but I think they probably would have enough. Um, you know, obviously that fa- franchise has been in a sense, you know, looking for uh, its footing the last few years, and I feel like they, you know, they have they're kind of a win now team, but they haven't really had the quarterback. So maybe it's a little bit off the board, although I think it is one of the teams that's been bubbling up of late. So I'll, I'll go with the Broncos. Mike, how about you? So honestly, if it wasn't a conference thing, I, I think the jets could make a push for him just because of their draft capital. And the fact that they just need a quarterback for such a long time. And New York is the number one market in the league. You want to star there. I think the league would be, extremely happy if that happened if you went to the Jets but I see him going to an NFC team because if the Texans are going to trade him they probably don't want to trade him in conference so Ian you you hinted at what I was going to say I think the Panthers 
are the likeliest landing spot in the NFC. I would love to see the Bears just throw the kitchen sink at him, but I doubt they have enough to make that happen. So the Panthers have more draft capital. I think that they can entice the Texans with some of their younger players as well. So Carolina, but it would be fun to see him go to the Jets. Adam, I'd be happy yeah. for you. I almost picked the Jets just out of yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm very, yeah, I'm very surprised that uh, the answers you guys gave. Uh, well, first of all, the Jets, without question, have the best package to offer. They've got two first-round picks this year, including the number two pick overall. They got two first-round picks next year. I think they'd be willing to part with all of those. Um, I think the Jets are probably. Uh, I'd probably put them number two. But I I think the Dolphins are set up very well. Um, First of all, they have the number three pick in the draft, which ironically is Houston's pick, which they traded to them last year for Laramie Tunsil. Um, But I think, more importantly, they have uh, Tua Tagovailoa. So theoretically, they could have their their franchise quarterback in Tua. You get the the number three pick overall in the draft, plus a bunch of other first-round draft picks. Though, granted... You know, Miami's first-round picks in the future could be, uh, you know, late first round if the team is competitive. So I think in that sense, the Jets might be the more appealing offer because, you know, A, you get the number two pick. You could also probably take Sam Darnold if you want him. But B, I mean, even with Deshaun Watson, the Jets could very realistically be picking in the top 10 again next year. So I think if if you're Houston and you're looking to, to get as much assets as possible, I do think the Jets are the best option. But uh, I, I do think that Tua is kind of the wild card here, and I think that Houston will not necessarily want to blow it up entirely. And so maybe trading with Miami gives them the best chance to collect assets while also maintaining some semblance of uh, you know competitiveness. So do you think they gonna... would trade him within the conference, though? Yeah, I, I think I think if you're trading Watson, you have to get the most value the best package. Yeah. So then you get you're not, yeah. you're not winning the Super Bowl next year. Get as much as you can, rebuild the foundation, and yeah, look, if he wins a Super Bowl with with the doll, if the, with the Jets, I mean, let it happen. And I think he's the kind of player, obviously, that's going to generate. You know, maybe we do see a bidding war. Teams really going up against each other, unlike with Wentz, where it was kind of like we're just going to get rid of him. And then, real quick, I, I think one of you alluded to earlier. JJ uh, Watt asked for his release from the Texans, which they granted. Um, I know a lot of people were complaining, oh, well, how come you release Watt when he requests it, but you won't trade Watson? Uh, totally different scenario. And yes, they will trade Deshaun Watson. I think that when you're talking about a franchise quarterback of his caliber, you have you, you have to take your time and, and make sure you're uh, getting as much back from him as possible. But it will happen. So real quick, we'll do another round the horn on J.J. Watt. Uh, maybe we'll go reverse order here. So uh, while where do you see Watt ending up? Um, so it, it could be a number of places. I think that I see him, I don't want to say the Packers, so I'm not going to, I, I, I see Pittsburgh because he's toward the end of his career. I mean, he's still got some left in the tank, but he'd probably like to play with his brother. So Pittsburgh could be brothers, right? Both of them are on the team. So you saw the subway commercial with the Watt brothers. So you'll, you'll be able to reenact that every Sunday if he ends up in Pittsburgh. So family connection going with the Steelers. Ian. 
I mean, I, you know, he's not who he used to be. You know, he's had injuries, he's, but he's obviously still a big name. Um, so I will make a bold prediction, say he'll go to the Patriots, do something mm. uh, a little bit out of left field. Uh, you know, th- that would be quite a move. And uh, I could see someone like Belichick, you know, as the <laughs> GM slash coach get off. So He'll have to take a pick up. <laughs> there you go. And Mike? Oh, Lane Johnson's apparently trying to bring him to Philly, but I don't think that's happening. Um, I, I think I would have gone with Pittsburgh uh, due to the familial connection and um, that their constant pursuit of strong defense. But I, I'm going to take the Bills, right? The Bills are another win-now team. Um, I, I think if there's one place where they can use a little bit more talent, it, it's the pass rush. So um, I, I think they do have some potential assets to, to send as well. So I, I, I think that could be a landing spot. This is fantastic. Between Watson and Watt, uh, the four of us all have different, uh, different predictions options. here. Yeah, that, that's pretty impressive. Uh, I, I think that, you know, the the obvious pick might be Pittsburgh to, to team up with his brothers. But I think at this point, Watt, you know, wants to win a Super Bowl. And to me, I think Green Bay makes a lot of sense. You know, Ooh. he went to Wisconsin. He's from there. Um, you know, an instant playoff contender. I think he'd probably take less money to play there to make it work. So I'm gonna I'm gonna take Green Bay to uh, to secure the services of JJ Watt. But um, I, I definitely expect it to be a contender. The, the second team I would have mentioned is actually Tampa Bay. I, I it wouldn't shock me to see him go there either. My second team would be the Cowboys. I feel like he's another another high profile team that he might be interested in joining. So anyway, I'm sure a lot more uh, NFL talk to come uh, in, in the coming weeks with the draft and free agency. So let's move on to Major League Baseball. We're speaking of um, free agents. Well, this guy was not a free agent, but he did sign a massive contract. And that is Fernando Tatis Jr. signs a 14-year, $340 million contract extension with the Padres. And Look, you, you can't deny the impact that, that Tatis Jr. has had in his first two years, but guys, let's let's not forget, um, with last year's shortened season and Tatis getting injured his rookie year, this guy has played less than 162 games in his major league career. So it seems like a lot of the media reports have been overwhelmingly positive. You, you locked him up long-term at a, a very reasonable AAV. But, um, you know, Ian... Is this a smart move, or do you kind of see maybe a little bit too much risk here, and maybe the Padres could have waited a year or two? I think it's a little bit of a gamble. Well, maybe more than a little bit. It's somewhat of a gamble for the Padres, but I think it is really a win-win move. I, I really like it from both sides. I think Tatis Jr. is, you know, it's crazy to say it, given how much he's getting paid, but is giving up, you know, some future dollars by taking the contract now. But he is getting that security. Of 14 years, which I believe is is the big, is the longest contract ever, um, and and the Padres. I mean, you have to give them a lot of credit for for going big, and you know, obviously the the only sport in town now in in San Diego with the Chargers leaving, and they've been you know the off season winners, the winners of the last couple off seasons with Manny Machado. So I I really like it from both sides, and yes, there's a risk. He's still young; he hasn't played that many games, but there's also a lot of potential. I mean, he could end up being one of the best players. The question is going to be, though, in you know a few years, what if he has a decline the way some of these other young guys have had? But at this point in his career, um, you know, I think it's it's fair market value, and it's crazy to think of you know where we're all going to be in 14 years and and all that. But um, you know, I I kind of think there's a little bit of risk from both sides, but overall, I really like the move. 
Mike? Um, yeah, yeah I, I think overall, the the length of these ridiculous contracts is... is it, I think it's more risky than, than I think I, I would want to go if I was an owner. Granted, I'm not, and I don't have the multi-million or billion dollars that the owners have, but so much can happen in such a long period of time. I mean, there could be a career-ending injury. They could just lose their stuff. I, that, I, I feel like that, that these mega contracts that we're seeing more and more of, they don't seem to make all that, that much sense to me, especially as uh, after the steroid era, players tend to be declining earlier rather than later. But what, what I will He's say 22 is... 22 years old. I well, see, that, that, that was my second point, is, is I, I think if we're going to stack this up against some of the other long-term contracts, like Bryce Harper or Mookie Betts or, or Mike Trout, um, the fact that they're getting Tatis at the age that he is, he's not as likely to age out as some of the other guys are. He'll be 35 by the time his contract ends. I want to say Harper and, and Betts will both be 39. I think Trout will be 38. So... He's less likely to age out, and whereas I think Tatis's best years are still probably ahead of him, even with all the risk, you know, the, the argument could be made that with Bryce, for example, that his best years are already past him. So I think if you stack this up against the other mega contracts, it looks pretty good. But I think the the, the whole practice of these ten plus year contracts is is a bit risky in itself. Mike, I agree there's risk, but I absolutely love this move by the Padres. You're locking up, if not the star of the next decade, one of the five best players at the most premium position on the field. Tatis is a great shortstop, or going to be a great shortstop. He can crush the ball. At 22 years old, he's one of the best players. If you, As a fantasy baseball player, he was injured last year for part of the season, but when he played... He was either the best fantasy baseball player on ESPN's rankings or close to it at 21. So if you can lock up a shortstop at 22 years old, and the way I looked at it was the first 10 years of this deal, you get from 22 to 32. From 22 to 32, you're getting his prime years, all of his prime years. You're getting his ascending years, and you're really the, the back end is the risk from 32 to 35, let's say. But at that point, it's going to be 10 years from now with inflation of 14 or thir- how, how many millions of dollars? It's 30, $340 million over 14 years. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, so it's you're paying 25 plus million ma- math. You almost can't worry right about now. those I last can't, five right, years. You can't, you like, can't really worry matter. because you're paying for his ascendance, his prime, and the marketing value you get as the San Diego Padres, this guy's going to be one of the faces of baseball. They're going to get a lot of national exposure. And the Padres, for their whole franchise life, Tony Gwynn's really the the face of that franchise in terms of hitting and Trevor Hoffman for pitching. And those guys, unfortunately, Tony Gwynn passed away. Trevor Hoffman hasn't played since the mid 2000s or so. So they've for 15 years struggled to maintain relevance. And now you get potentially the face of baseball for the next 14 years. So I love this move for them with Machado and Tatis locking down the left side of that infield and the moves that they made pitching wise that the Padres had the greatest offseason I can remember, honestly, that the, they get three frontline starters 
They got Clevenger last year. Um, he's going to come back after Tommy John, not this year, but next year. And then you just have an elite left side of your infield with the young talent that they have. It's, I'm very, very impressed. Um, so kudos to the Padres. I, I, I can't dispute any of the positive things you said about Tatis Jr. He certainly seems to be a superstar, but I, I have a little bit of concern, guys. I mean, he played 59 games last year, obviously shortened season, and he played 84 games his rookie season. So this guy has never played 100 games in an MLB season. We, As we know, minor league baseball seasons are a lot shorter. We know nothing about his durability. We don't know if his production would tail off over the course of a 162-game season. I just think it's a really small sample size to make such an enormous commitment to. I mean, there there was really no reason they had to make this move right now. I, yes, they're, they're obviously banking on the fact that he's going to continue to produce at this level, but I would have a lot of concerns. Like, if you're signing a guy to a 14-year contract, you're, I think the number one thing you're counting on him is is durability. The fact that you need this guy on the field 150 games a season for the next decade and a half. And we haven't seen that once. And it's not his fault. I mean, he, yes, he did get injured his rookie year, but that would give me a little bit of concern. I, to me, I would have liked to have seen one full season of production before giving out a contract that, like that, especially when the way that the rules in baseball are set up, you can keep the guy on favorable terms his first seven years. So I guess but I'm in the, the minority, is, but yeah, I mean, the counter is if he had a, you know, to Mike Wiles point, a number one fantasy season in 2021, what does the contract look like then? I mean, it's not going to be the same dollar amount. There's no way of knowing, of course. <laughs> I, I think it would think be it would comparable. Be you'd be, you'd be buying. Okay. So it would be, it would be one less year of, of arbitration that you're buying out. But I think, I think you'd be looking at a pretty similar structure. Um, I mean, look, you you could argue that Tatis's value right now is at the highest it'll ever be. I mean, he's he is regarded as a a superstar, as a top five player in the game. I mean, he's going to have to continue playing as a top five player in baseball, you know, in order to maintain his current status. So, you know, look, they have him long term. I hope it works out, um, but. I, I think there's a lot more risk here than maybe a lot of people are are saying that there is. The other thing this does is think about if you're a team like the Rays where Wander Franco, who's the next number one prospect, is getting ready to come up. And the the players that are young players were taking very team-friendly deals. You look at Ronald Acuna or Luis Robert or Eloy Jimenez as three examples of taking potentially under slot deals to to get financial security for their family like 40 50 million dollar deals this blows it out of the water and i think that this is going to change the market for the young players i think you're going to see a shift where the older veteran players are going to make significantly less it's almost going to be inverted where the top young players start making the quote-unquote veteran money and the veterans are going to start making less. So the collective bargaining agreement, when they talk about this, it's going to be interesting to see how they rework free agency or figure out a way to to more evenly distribute the the money. Because right now, the way things are going, the young players are going to make a ton, and these off seasons are just going to drag out with the veterans not yeah, signing. It, it it makes what the Braves did locking up Acuna after his rookie season, eight years, a hundred million. I mean, that seems like a bargain. It's, but I will say, I I know Tatis is young; he's only twenty two. These ten plus year contracts never work out. I mean, 
they'd never work out. You saw with the Phillies, I'm sure they'd love to get out of that Bryce Harper contract two mm-hmm. years in. Um, I think back to, uh, you know, in the NHL, the Islanders signed Rick DiPietro to a 15-year contract. <laughs> and I remember the guy that. got hurt like two years into the contract. He, he didn't end up playing like the back half of the contract. So that's the thing is like, you know, yes, you, you believe in a guy's talent, but 14 years is such a long period of time. You just don't know what could happen from an injury standpoint, something that's completely out of their control. So look, he'll be a lifer, um, you know, unless he's he's signing, you know, somewhere at age 36. But um, I, I think that a lot of people are just completely passing over the, the, the risk here. And I think it's pretty substantial. But, so, I, but, but you know, we did, I was just going to say, like, the Padres, you have to give them credit. The easy thing to do would be what Adam's saying is you wait, you give it a year, you give it two years. But they were aggressive, and they, they locked their guy up. And to me, it is different because he's 22. All those other examples, they're 25, 26, 27. So, yes, it's insanely long, but I feel like this one has maybe the best shot of actually paying off. And speak, Speaking of 10-plus-year uh, contracts, did you guys see Pujols is retiring at the end of the season? His wife said it. Yeah. I saw his wife's Instagram post. Interesting that she would post it rather than him, but I guess she's been with him for 23 years of the... Yeah, yeah. he's... he's what, and I know, old, I know Pujols... Yeah. When Pujols signed with the Angels, he was an elite player, and he was 31, but, I mean, think about that 10-year contract, how yeah. many awful seasons he's had at, at you know, top dollar. This is prime. So, again, very, very different situation, but you're also talking about... Pujols from 31 to 41. Right, it's significantly 31 different. to 46. Yeah, I mean, Pujols was not great for for the, you know, even the early part of that contract. Tatis' maybe... contract is done after half of Pujols' contract <laughs> at that point. It'll be 35. Yeah. One f- final point I'll make, and I, I still stand by my sentiments that this is a really big risk that I might not want to take, but I, I, the Padres are the exact team who would, go with a high-risk, high-reward situation. They're a team who's never won a World Series, and they're now the only team that represents San Diego professionally. So if there is a team that has to go big or go home, they would be the team. I can see why and speaking of Speaking of pools, I know this is a little off-topic, but you think he's a unanimous Hall of Famer yeah. in five years? Yeah. I, I, I think, think so. so. I was like, who, who are you talking about? Pools? Pools. Like he was really the first guy post-steroid era. Wait, 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 wait hold on. You think Pools can be unanimous? I do, yeah. There is there is zero percent chance Pools is unanimous. I disagree. You don't think Pools is linked to steroids? He nah. hasn't been caught. I, I, I was, guarantee you there the are writers. Run hitters. I guarantee I mean, you there are writers out there. A couple of votes, but I feel like he has as good a shot as anyone to be unanimous. There's, I, I will bet anything that he's Adam, not unanimous. Look at what he did. In St. Louis, in the first couple of years in Anaheim, people have linked Pujols to steroids, guys. And Is also, incredible? and also, if Derek Jeter was not unanimous, Pujols will not be unanimous. Sorry, not not happening. Oh, because Derek Jeter. No offense, Ian. Because Derek Jeter and Pujols' careers are comparable. Right? <laughs> um, no, yeah, not. I think they are. They're absolutely not. What do you Again, mean no not? offense, Ian. Uh, no, Pujols is a much better hitter. I mean, if you take their overall career, I mean, you have to factor in the postseason, right? Yeah, Jeter yeah, had that I, opportunity. I, w- I would imagine that Pujols' career numbers, talking batting average, you know, OBP has declined pretty significantly based on his last 
six years with the, with the Angels. So I, I think so, like, if you look at the career the, numbers, it'll be a lot closer than you think. I mean, yes, he's got the home career. runs, but I, I don't know. If one of you guys want to bring that up. Uh, well, God willing, in five years when we're still doing this podcast, we'll be able to discuss it when Albert Pujols is up for nomination, and I want this save. How about February this? February 23rd, 2021. I don't, I don't know what Jeter got. I, I think it was pretty close to unanimous. Pujols will get one vote. I think oh, is that it? Vote. Okay. Pujols will get less than Jeter. I guarantee you that. I mean, write it down, save it. Then or one vote. Right. It, it's so. But we'll see Mariano was unanimous, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. I think he was. Yeah. So yeah. that barrier has been broken now, which I feel like is going to help Pujols. It could. Pujols I mean, will not be unanimous. I R- promise Rivera you. Was, I promise uh, you guys. He will. He will get less votes than you guys think. Rivera was not, not, not because he's not a hall, not because he's not a Hall of Famer because of the. The, the suspicion. You know, steroid suspicion. Although, granted, next year will be, I mean, next year I think will be a telling year with all the, the big, big names who are linked to steroids. You know, we'll see what happens with them. The, the one point with Rivera is that he was undisputedly the best ever at his position. Like, there was no contest. And I think the fact that he was a closer and so dominant, it distinguishes him from many other players. Sure. So that, I agree, but I also think now that it's happened, it's easier for everyone to let it happen again. At least that would be my hope, but you never know with these things. All right, so a couple couple quick uh, baseball topics. I did want to touch on, there was another big story. The Mariners team president, Kevin Mather, uh, stepped down yesterday after a, a number of controversial comments he made apparently he was talking to his rotary club and what was supposed to be a private conversation that somehow leaked on youtube but anyway the quick summary is he he made a lot of um disparaging comments about his own organization he ta- he criticized a couple of different um international players for needing translators as long as they did he talked about um you know manipulating younger players service time which i know is a prominent issue in baseball he made a couple other comments but i i know we we did touch on this earlier about this issue of of service time and maybe with the contract of tatis jr and ronald acuna maybe we'll see kind of a a shift away from this where teams are buying out the arbitration years but this is kind of a a larger issue that's been that's plagued baseball for a while and that is the fact that um teams are incentivized for keeping superstar prospects in the major in the minor leagues to start the season um they're you know they're already at a disadvantage in the sense that they have to wait seven years to get free agency but the fact that teams will push the clock back a year i know this is nothing new but the fact that teams are um you know pushing the clock back a year to to maintain the extra year of eligibility uh it sounds like based on kevin mather's comments uh everybody in baseball or a lot of a lot of organizations in baseball subscribe to this policy that look we we will do whatever it takes to um manipulate player service time because that helps the organization so ian i'll I'll start with you i know this is a topic you're passionate about but you know how how do we solve this does baseball really need to make these changes in the next uh, round of cba negotiations I mean, short answer would be yes. I don't know that it's going to happen, though. I mean, it's been this way for so long. I think we'll probably see some minor changes. I think the bigger kind of large, you know, the large thing to come from this is now this is out in the open. And we know that, you know, if the Mariners are admitting to it, I'm sure everyone else is talking about it behind the scenes. We already know it's happening. And I think Yeah, but players... look, look, 
yes, he he said it on camera. Didn't know he was on camera, but th- th- this well, is not a secret. I mean, look at the you know the the Chicago Cubs with Chris Bryant back in the day when he sure, was. Sure, it's a, not a secret. But yes. anytime someone says something publicly, this can be used against you know the owners now. And and I think when the negotiations happen after this upcoming season, this is going to be a major sticking point, and the players. You know, you I think rightfully so have a point. And how do they make it a little more fair where they don't have to wait seven years? And um, I think it, it's going to have long, you know, long term implications. At least I think the players will try to make sure it does. Um, you know, it, it, I think I didn't even read all the comments today, but Garrett Cole started out his press conference today, had a long discussion about this issue. So I think this is kind of just bringing it, you know, bubbling up to the surface. We all knew it was going on behind the scenes, but now it's out in the open. So I think it's going to be something that baseball is going to have to address. The question is, do they actually deal with it, kind of punt the issue? You know, maybe there's a compromise. That would be ideal, right? <laughs> Whenever you're, you know, going through a CBA, there should be some sort of compromise. So it'll be something we have to watch really um, throughout the season and going into to the off season. But not only does does this current structure hurt the players, but I I think it actually hurts the teams as well. Number one is if you've got a top prospect who's ready to play, and he's not there from day one, you're you're hurting your team's chances to win right off the bat. And I actually think the Mets deserve a lot of credit. Um, Brody Van Wagen in two years ago made the decision to uh, have Pete Alonso start the season with the major league club. And not only was he rewarded with a, a terrific season, he ended up breaking the all-time rookie home run record, which you know obviously wouldn't have been possible if he had had to wait two weeks. But I think as a result of this system, by suppressing um, player salaries earlier on, yes, you're getting them at a bargain earlier in their contract. But I think as a result, you see a lot of awful contracts given out to guys when they hit free agents. And to me, if I'm going to be overpaying for a guy or, or if I'm dedicating a certain percentage of my payroll to certain players, I'd rather be paying for the young guys who are in their prime rather than be dishing out these awful contracts to guys in their early to mid-30s who you know just reach free agency for the first time and they're trying to cash in. But I think if maybe you figure out a way to either increase the, the, the salaries earlier on or maybe allow them to get to free agency quicker, maybe the teams would start spending their resources on younger players in their prime and they wouldn't necessarily be forced to give out those awful contracts to guys who are past their prime. Yeah, I think you're going to see a big shift with the next negotiation. I mean, after this year, the CBA expires and the players are not going to back down, especially this was the final straw this was the straw that breaks the camel's back you could look at chris bryant that's sort of when the discussion started and there's been other players but openly and blatantly admitting that you're not going to bring up your top players even if there was no one left to bring up to the point where this idiot himself would go play with his belly as he said in the outfield i mean just this guy it, it was arrogance it was stupidity and it was just like this he felt insulated because he was talking to the rotary club and felt like they were his people but as an owner of a team how stupid do you have to be to make comments about prospects learning english a all-star fan favorite pitcher needing a translator for $75,000 a year when you're making millions as an owner 
And then to talk about the service time like he did, it just is... The guy deserved whatever he got. And I think he's still an owner because they can't take that away from him. But it's just how you can be so stupid, I don't know. Well, this is the... Go ahead, Mike. I was going to say that this is the exact situation where the worst things about people come out. Like I, I remember Don Sterling when when he had to give up his ownership of the Clippers because he thought he wasn't being overheard by anybody significant. Then non-sports related, but Mitt Romney, who uh, single-handedly flushed his um, electoral campaign down the toilet um, by calling 47% of Americans moochers. It, well, this is exactly how it happens. People say the quiet part out loud to people who they think um, are okay hearing it, but, but there's always somebody listening. And yeah, this is going to have implications on both fronts here. For first, there's the um, the language component of it. Um, obviously, a lot of folks have their own political views within baseball ownership. A lot of them are probably more to the right, and I'm sure they donate a lot of money to conservative candidates, but... This is different because he's saying this publicly. Uh, it, it creates an unfavorable work environment for a, you know, MLB significant foreign presence. A lot, a lot of, a lot of MLB players are foreign. A lot of them do not speak great English. It's not their first language, but it doesn't take away from their talent. And if what he said, if he created an environment where foreign players are less likely to want to play for the Mariners, then. Yeah, they, they, they've got to move on, right? They have to, to neutralize that because they have to be able to compete with the best. Now, when it comes to the service time manipulation, um, I think we're going to see a similar process play out to, to when the steroids finally became public, right? It's like everyone knew it was happening, but no one said it publicly until somebody, until Ken Seiko came out and, and started airing all the stuff out in the open, and suddenly the league decided to do something about it. They, they realized that it is in the collective interest of both the players and the teams to act against the policy, and I think the same exact thing is going to happen here. Yeah, teams, they, they might feel like they get away with it on their own, but I, I think they would all probably readily admit that if everybody's doing this, um, it simply isn't good for the league. So I, I think we're going to see significant action taken in the next collective bargaining agreement. And I'll just make one final comment here. I think it was either Garrett Cole, Francisco Lindor, or Scott Boris who made this comment. Then Boris, you know, you take his comments with a grain of salt, who who said that baseball is the only sport where you got guys who can contribute and help teams win that aren't getting signed to contracts. I mean, you look at a guy like Jackie Bradley Jr. He's a good player. He should be on a roster somewhere. The fact that it's already spring training and he's gone unsigned is a problem in the sport. I mean, you would never see a player of that quality in the NBA or the NFL or the NHL not be on a roster because of you know all this nonsense going on. A team's not spending what they you know what they should be spending, and so it's it's a real problem. I don't have the solution. I think if I if I had an answer, I'd probably be making a lot of money and a job in uh, at Major League Baseball, but. It's definitely something they have to figure out in the next round of CBAs. So uh, let's let's put a bow on baseball. Um, we've got one final topic before we wrap for the night. Um, I want to talk quickly about the NHL Outdoor Series. Um, did you guys get a chance to watch? I did, yeah. I admittedly did not. Uh, you, you didn't watch I your team in there, the... Mike? I couldn't. 
I, oh, I had a personal. Uh, Diana's moving in, so you know we we, we had to move some stuff. Oh, that nice. takes priority. Congratulations. Yeah. yeah, I watched the first. Thank you. There's a thing called DVR. Yeah, I'm a Jew. I, I can't. <laughs> yeah. I don't pay for it. <laughs> oh Sports on DVR don't work. You know, you got to see a lot. Yeah, there's that too. That's I've never opinion. wanted to record it. But yeah. I, I started watching Adam, and then the game got called due to it being too slow. So, <laughs> well, yeah. So, um, just just real quick. So the NHL hosted um, outdoor series at Lake Tahoe. There's this spectacular setup with you know you got the water and trees in the background. Obviously, no fans there, but yeah, as Ian mentioned, it was uh, Vegas versus Colorado first period they, they play i think colorado's up one nothing and they had to suspend the game because of sun so it was it was a you know there were actually a lot of clouds in, in the sky but none of them were obstructing the sun and basically the the sun melted the ice and they had to postpone the game so they ended up i think the game started at like two o'clock and they postponed it until midnight eastern time so it was nine nine o'clock pacific and so they went back out at midnight it was much cooler and uh, you know, not not quite the same uh, scenic look, but still a really cool atmosphere. And um, and then the the Flyers and and Bruins played uh, on the same rink the following night. Uh, we saw ten goals combined in that game. But anyway, it just kind of got me thinking about. Uh, I thought we'd close with a fun topic. You know, with the NHL, you know, every year they do the outdoor games. This year a little bit different with Lake Tahoe. But I, I wanted to ask you guys, uh, what what would be a cool unusual place you'd like to see another professional sport play a real game um so ian i'll start with you i think i have actually a pretty good one i just thought of it and it's perfect because of the nhl being all about you know the u.s but also canada and that's niagara falls niagara falls is in both did you have that one too while i did yeah (laughs) both in the u.s and canada there's yeah there's a you know a border so you could potentially set up two ranks and maybe have one game on mm-hmm. each side but with the falls you know in the background i feel like it would be a beautiful atmosphere it's obviously cold enough up there um my only thought and i'm curious if the nhl has comment on this when fans are allowed back in which is hopefully every other you know winter classic moving forward are they going to do something like this where they can't have fans or it's so few because that's obviously a lot of lost revenue i think it, it forces them to get creative which they did this time around and would love to see this become an annual tradition so you you did take mine. I was gonna say sure. Niagara Falls, and I was thinking, similar to what you were thinking, have one half of the rink in Canada and one half of the rink in the I U.S. I was thinking if that at first. If, if it's I just possible. don't. I don't know it, that it is. I've yeah. I was there a couple of years ago, and the way it's set up, it's kind of sprawling. You can't, so right. You can't. You can't. You literally that. That have to crazy yeah. if you like put it on some sort of like cantilever cantilevered surface where you have it like who was that guy who um walked across do you remember that a few years ago nick walinda i think walinda yeah. yeah he does all like stuff. but but if it if it can't be at niagara falls i was thinking one of the national parks i thought adam i watched the games lake tahoe especially that second game with the the bruins and flyers where it was basically like twilight and you got the sunset in so the background. awesome yeah and it was cool because the sky was orange and yellow the two teams colors mm. it was very cool and just the the lake and the the trees and the mountains is it's just a gorgeous view and i i think hockey lends itself to playing outside just because you know especially in canada they have outdoor rinks and you see movies like the mighty ducks or other movies where like young kids are 
practicing outside and the sun's going down. But on a similar theme, I would say it would be cool to play at like a national park, like maybe like Yosemite with all the trees like or, or where they have the sequoia trees where you just have like a lot of cool nature around or even Mount Rushmore. I mean, that would be kind of cool to have a hockey rink in front of a national monument like that where it's uh, it would open up the game as like more of an American you associate it with America. You have it like on the National Mall or Mount Rushmore, like in front of some American landmark. So um, that's a good one. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, you know, e- even as a more fair weather hockey fan, I-, I have watched the Winter Classic several times in the past, given that the Flyers do usually participate. Often the results are better than they were this time. So I'm not entirely unhappy that I didn't watch them lose to Boston because I-, I can't stand that. But. Uh, I was actually thinking Montana, um, right in the mountains, maybe in Missoula. I went to a Pearl Jam concert up there once, and granted it was the summertime, so slightly different atmosphere, but it was amazing up there. And I, I feel like it would be a lot of fun um, to bring the Winter Classic up there. You could potentially get a lot of new hockey fans in Montana, which is, yeah, it's, it's a barren, but it's, it's a growing state. Um, and, you know, expose more hockey to, to some of the rural areas, I, I think, would be a great benefit to the sport. So I was trying to think of something for baseball. And the more I thought about it, baseball has actually done a really good job of doing this of finding unique venues to host games. Um, they've had the recent thing with Williamsport where they, they take two teams back to the little league fields and they, you know, they get the, the little league association involved. Um, they had the, the field of dreams uh, example. I know they've had a couple series in london playing the games on rugby field so i think baseball is actually um you know the most progressive in this regard so i think the next best thought i had was some kind of outdoor basketball game the first thing that came to mind a few years ago i don't know if you guys remember i think it was back in 2011 uh unc in michigan state played a game on the deck of a u.s navy aircraft carrier so that would be really cool to see an nba game there but in the spirit of trying to come up with uh, an original idea how about if we had Knicks versus Nets at Rucker Park? Nice. Okay. That's cool. Real-time street be, ball. Yeah. New York rivalry. Both teams are good now. Or, you know, I don't know if you want to call the Knicks good, but both Ascending. teams are, are competitive. Uh, you know, a good old-fashioned street ball game at Rucker Park. Um, Adam Silver, if you're listening, let's let's make it happen. Yeah, actually, Ian, I thought of my border idea. Once the Kraken are in the league, you have Seattle and Vancouver. I feel like you could find a place to, to put a rink on both sides. That's going to be quite a rivalry. Border, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'll call Gary Bettman. All right, so let's uh, let's pivot here to final thoughts. Uh, I think we're going to keep right around our hour, 10-minute mark, uh, as we do for podcasts. So, Mike Weil, I'll start with you. You got one or two thoughts today. No, I got one. I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna make it so that I I'm equal to everyone else. I will just do one. But we didn't touch on it yet. Um, Tiger Woods today was in a really terrible car accident, and thank God he's gonna survive. It looks like. But when I heard the news, it was very reminiscent of Kobe. It was middle of the day around this time of year, and I just I couldn't believe it. I saw it on Twitter. A Sports Center tweet came up, and um, they're saying now that his his legs are pretty badly hurt, but I, I think the surgery should hopefully be able to fix it. And who knows if he'll golf again, but as long as he lives, that's the most important thing. And he's such a legendary guy. I mean, you saw, 
I was watching today this evening like his career highlights and it was almost like they were treating it as if I don't want to say he died but like giving his retrospective and just Tiger Woods in the early 2000s was by far the most dominant athlete in American sports um, just from from 2000 to 2005 his run in golf is unprecedented and uh, it just it's thank God he's going to survive because he's the type of athlete where he'll be the ambassador. Like you had Jack Nicholas and Arnold Palmer be the ambassadors for golf. And now Tiger Woods is going to be that next wave for hopefully 40, 50 years to come. Um, and, and the fact that he's a minority in a sport where it was very restricted to whites only until relatively recently, um, like a lot of these clubs are still they they were still segregated either whether women couldn't play or minorities couldn't play and Tiger Woods really broke all those barriers so I hope he recovers quickly and fully and uh, it just shows you you have to enjoy life every day and um, it's just crazy crazy to hear Mandel what do you got so best wishes to Tiger but yeah, yeah, so one thing about me in sports is that it ain't all, always all about the men. I know that, um, say for the Olympics, the, the vast majority of sports is around men's sports, given the uh, the generally higher tier of competition um, with many of our physical advantages. But the U.S. women's soccer team is absolutely incredible. I, I love watching them, um, having won the second World Cup in a row two years ago, um, winning the qualifying round for the Olympics last year, and... I'm watching the uh, the She Believes tournament, and they are likely going to end up the champions and undefeated in the entire tournament. I there, there is just so much talent on that team between Carly Lloyd, a, a South Jersey native, Megan Rapino, Kristen Press, Alex Morgan, Crystal Dunn. I mean, there's this, there's some there's Julie Ertz. Like, I, I hope this team stays strong for decades, decades to come because. I was never even really much of a soccer fan. I almost never watched the men. I've been to like one Philadelphia Union game in my entire life. But U.S. women are amazing. So I hope to God they keep it up. I second that. And my final thought also is, I guess, related to women in sports. And I'll, I'll talk briefly about the Australian Open. Um, pretty big tennis fan. Always keep an eye on what's going on, especially with the four majors. Obviously, taking place in Australia, we don't get to see uh, many of the best matches because they air in the middle of the night Eastern time, but they did put on the Osaka Serena Williams match uh, in the semis. Um, wait, no. It was, yeah, it was the semis, right? Um, uh, you know, at, at a normal time for us to watch. And um, I was just so impressed with Osaka. I mean, she's 23 years old, facing an all-time legend, and Serena, you know, she's been doing pretty well she's 39 she's made it to the semis again but osaka really dominated her and, and osaka won the title her fourth title now at only age 23 and i think she's you know in a sense the next big thing in tennis we'll see if that continues but uh it's exciting to see her play and and you know in a sense maybe a passing of a torch we saw you know serena kind of uh leave her press conference uh in tears so i don't know if that you know means anything about her future but it's something to keep an eye on and uh, while tennis often doesn't get much coverage here in, in the U.S., it's something that uh, I know at least Adam and I enjoy watching. So I uh, wanted see, to share my final thought there. Did you see her congratulate her opponent at the end where she messed up her name? 
Yeah, she asked how to say her name, and she said it the wrong way. That was pretty fun. (laughs) (laughs) My final thought, I was originally going to have this as a topic on the show, but kind of ran out of time. Uh, Wanted to talk a little bit about Trevor Bauer. So uh, I think we're a couple weeks removed from his signing now, and he's already got himself into a a Twitter spat with what could have been his teammate in Noah Syndergaard. So Syndergaard tweeted out a photo of uh, him and a teammate uh, laughing at something with a caption about, um, you know, making fun of Trevor Bauer, um, you know, flaking on the Mets and offering to donate to a charity to make it up to the fans. And he didn't tweet, he didn't tweet at Bauer's handle, but it was kind of a, a subtle jab at him. And of course, maybe 20 minutes later, Trevor Bauer had found the tweet, responded to it, um, and then uh, began the process of digging up old tweets of Noah Syndergaard's to try to make him look bad and just uh, very, um, very, very sensitive. And look, I, I'm all for building your personal brand and, you know, clapping back when, when people are over the top critical of you on social media. But I think Trevor Bauer needs to pull it back a little bit in the sense that, look, he's yes, he's a professional athlete, but, you know, anytime a fan in the stands says something moronic to you, you don't run into the stands and, and punch his lights out. Some things you kind of have to let go. And in the case of Noah Syndergaard, look, Bauer deserved it. You know, he, he his company mistakenly leaked out photos of him in Mets gear. Um, he got the, the, the hopes of Mets fans up. And look, he deserves to get made fun of a little bit. He got the highest uh, single-season salary in baseball history. I think he needs to, you know, tone it down a little bit. And look, he he can engage on Twitter all he wants, but the whole digging up old tweets, trying to make people look bad, um, you know, it's it's just too much. And the more I think about it, uh, the more I think I realize that he probably wouldn't have been cut out in New York because the criticism he would have gotten, not only from the media but fans, if he didn't live up to his Cy Young season, I think it would have been a disaster. So. Off to L.A. he goes, and uh, I wish him no success. Um, I hope that he opts out. Uh, or I, I hope he doesn't opt out. If he doesn't opt out, it means that he probably didn't live up to his contract. And, um, you know, good riddance. Hopefully the Mets will see him in the playoffs and, and uh, you know, silence him on Twitter. So that'll do it for another edition of the Sports Cafe. From Mike Weil, Ian Gus, and Mike Mandel, my name is Adam Rosen. We'll talk to you soon. Peace, I'm out of here.